This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Good morning and welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Cheryl Coleman. And we're delighted to welcome you to another episode of Dollars and Change, where we talk about the business of social impact. Absolutely. Uh, Dollars and Change, as a reminder to all of our listeners, is replayed live throughout. It is live now, 8 to 10 a.m. <laughs> Thursdays, but then replayed on Sirius XM Channel 111 uh, throughout the week. You can also use the Sirius On Demand app and listen to us whenever you'd like. We're excited to have you with us. Absolutely. We've got a great show today, a couple of, of wonderful guests, a little bit of something for everyone. We'll be talking to Bruce Poontip, who's the founder of G Adventures, about really harnessing tourism and uh, you know travel, travel opportunities for a very positive social impact. So whether you are an entrepreneur thinking about how tourism impacts, an entrepreneur or business owner thinking about how tourism is impacting you, or you're thinking about your own travel, that will be an interesting segment. Then we'll move on to Jennifer Kenning. Jennifer is the CEO and co-founder of Align Impact. Um, so as our listeners are familiar with, another great conversation about impact investing. Uh, Jen focuses on uh, being an impact advisor to high net worth families, individuals, and foundations. And what's neat about Align is that they will talk about the philanthropic use of capital right. as well as the investment use of capital. So to have that both in one shop, it'll be a great conversation. And and her point is to try to get them to align with each other to make sure that your your dollars of, of both the philanthropic and the investment capital are kind of meeting the same ends. Mm-hmm. The, the image I often think of, so you'll hear some people talk about um, like two-pocket finance. Uh-huh. Like I have one pocket and that's my main capital and um, I invest that and I don't think about the ethics of it and it gets me a return and then the other pocket is my philanthropic money so I'm thinking about Jen in like a hoodie <laughs> with you know the one pocket across the front um, that this is this is how she's encouraging folks to be thinking about their their capital so that that should be our, our um, clothing you know our branded clothing exactly. all hoodies because it's got one pocket it's one gotcha. pocket um, and then finally we'll, we will wrap our third guest will be Delilah Wilson Scott she's the senior vice president of of community investment at Comcast here in Philadelphia. We were delighted to have her on our panel uh, at our Social Impact Conference last year. Yep. She's lovely, and we're excited to get to talk to her about what's new and exciting at a huge company like Comcast. Absolutely. Big anchor here in Philly. And then for the fourth segment, dun, dun, dun. Colin, this is the time for us to reflect on what we've what we heard from our guests to talk about some current issues and, and really to get a chance to talk to to listeners because it's, it's a great opportunity for you to think about what you've been hearing from our guests and then call in with questions. Also, let us know who you might want to have on the show. Yes, it's a season of planning for us. So though ah. this doesn't seem like a, uh, a big season change for a lot of in a lot of industries for us. We're rapidly approaching graduation and for summer with us. That's a lot of research projects and a lot of strategic planning. And one of those areas where we are strategic planning is around our serious guests. Who do we want to have on the show? Do you like theme shows? Where we talk about, you know, four guests in education. Should we have a musical segment? (laughs) (laughs) Sandy can do opera. That is not an option. Show tunes. (laughs) Uh, And so, yes, we'd love to hear from our listeners. You know, favorite favorite uh, guests that you've heard on the show, things that are are relevant, things you feel like are missing from the conversation. So, thanks for being with us. As I mentioned, we're going to jump right in with our fabulous first guest, Bruce Poontip, founder of G Adventures. Bruce, welcome to the show. 
Hello. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Bruce, you founded G Adventures in 1990, which I imagine is before the term social enterprise was really even being used liberally. Tell us about that that story, the, the impetus for and the creation of this organization. Yeah, well, travel was and travel was a very different beast. It's one of the you know industries that has you know evolved so much because of technology. How, how people research travel, how people book travel, you know, people have so much more information at their fingertips, and the entire industry has gone through quite a revolution. But in 1990, um, you know, the, the mainstream travel existed with you know um, you know cruise, cru- cruises coach tours and, you know, compound resorts was really how you went on vacations. And so, um, and then I think the mid-90s, there was an evolution of what they call ecotourism. That was the first Mm -hmm. time that any kind of social enterprise or the idea that travel can have an impact locally, which was surrounded the environment. And then, you know, by the late 90s, there was, you know, responsible tourism, then um, Al Gore came out with Inconvenient Truth, and then su- Sustainable Tourism came around. And so there was just, there was always this evolution of people wanting to, you know, match their values that they lived at home with their holiday time. Um, and, it, and it's still an evolution now, but it's, it's um, and, and in the industry of the travel industry itself changed so much. But, you know, we came out originally with the idea of people wanting to, you know, want a more cultural, immersive experience. And that and that that needed a relationship with local communities and local people in order to deliver an authentic experience. And so through that, you started to develop um, the idea of social enterprise by local people and local communities, cultural preservation, all these things that were important for a sustainable, you know, cultural experience by preserving some of the world's most beautiful places and in various ways and. Eventually, it led to other great things that, that tourism could be, like poverty alleviation, creating jobs, and, and those kind of things. And it was it was in line perfectly with the concept of social enterprise when when that became a thing. And so, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what G Adventures is now, or rather, your portfolio of businesses, because it has grown to include a few other dimensions? Yeah, I mean, we're we're I mean. 28 years later, we're, we're the world's largest kind of small group adventure company, running small group kind of holidays. But, you know, that's all wrapped up with, um, you know, our own foundation that does local community work and local community development. We work with, um, you know, local governments, and we work with even, you know, in, in the United States, um, groups like the IDB, the Inter-American Development Bank, building tourism projects and having a positive impact on local communities as we have grown as a, a tourism operator. But we have, you know, um, partnerships, and we have different types of tours. We work with you know, organizations like National Geographic and and different organizations where we um, run different tours for different groups. We have expedition programs in Antarctica, you know, ships out in Galapagos. But we really specialize in, you know, a more immersive kind of holiday experience for for for, for customers. But at the same time, we're very values based and. Um, and we create um, wealth distributions through tourism, basically. And so, so, Bruce, can you give an example? I mean, I'm thinking about the summer. I've got the summer off. Mm-hmm. Cheryl's like looking some... excited about some travel here. <laughs> looking as excited at the travel. How, how do you make this an authentic experience? I mean, what if I come in and I say I want to do something in uh, Ecuador? What, yeah. what, what would you do to make this a real experience and not just a kind of um, superficial 
kind of a, a travel. Yeah, I mean, you know, our, our programs in Ecuador, for instance, if you wanted to go there, I mean, we have relationships with local indigenous communities. Uh, one of our, you know, I can name like a community specifically head uh, elder called Delphine, who lives out in the Amazon rainforest, and we've been bringing people to his community for for, for over 25 years. Um, and we and and he, it, it's really he's one of the great examples of how we've he's preserved his local community and culture through tourism over the years by bringing groups there. So, so we would we would go to get... various different yeah. places as, as as a normal tour would do. We'd go in smaller groups. We might use some local transportation. We'd we'd stay in small locally owned, locally run accommodations. Um, we'd in we'd visit various social enterprise kind of uh, programs that we'd have set up there, all within. A tourism kind of experience and you might want to go out to the Galapagos Islands where you know we have you know ships out there like all other companies do but we you know have have added kind of experiences that would benefit local communities and and like the Charles Darwin research stations and things like that that so the, the, up there. the benefit to the local community is because oh I'm we're spending money in their in their shops and their their um, housing and, and that stuff is that the the main benefit yeah, but it's 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 done um, in a way that where the wealth is shared. So um, every kind of because we have local offices, we run all of our programs. So most tour companies that you would go to would use one local kind of person or a company that's you know that would um, then farm out all the the um, the program that you put to, that that you would do. But we actually have an office in Ecuador, and we have you know offices, and we have um, programs in over 100 countries. So mm. you would actually every hotel you stayed in, every transport, you know, vehicle you stayed in, or or other like there might be boats or you know rickshaws, depending on where you are in the world, and everything would be paid in hand um, in local services. Every restaurant would be locally owned, and you'd be creating wealth distribution because you're going to one of the you know Ecuador is one of the most in need countries and most you know, one of the poorest countries in the Western world, and you would uh, benefit a lot of different people because everything would be paid in hand, fair trade wages, fair trade um, mm -hmm. prices for all of the services, plus there would be social enterprise projects um, along the way that you'd visit, and you'd really see Ecuador firsthand with, you know, with, and you see community development at the same time. And these social impact projects, what, what would I be doing on that? Oh, well, with Delphine, for instance, that's one of our greatest ones probably in the world, actually, in Ecuador specifically, is, you know, you'd actually be going and staying in his community for a, a couple of nights or a few nights, depending on the... And it's, and he is uh, uh, from a tribe that lives in the Amazon, and they've, they, um, you, you, you spend time with his, his family, you, you know, you go on walks in the rainforest with his kids, and you, you know, they're all part of the project, you, you know, we cook meals together, we we do all different type of things. We have, you know, many different projects, you know, all over the world that might be just a restaurant stop, but it might be a community craft project, women's weaving co-op in Peru. We have even your arrival transfer in India. We have the women's Women on Wheels program where we work with um, women that are in shelters, single mothers that we train for 18 months to get the driver's license, teach them English, oh, give them a car, and then they do all of our arrival transfers when you're picked up. Your first day when you do a city tour, it's done by the Salam Balak trust street kids program they give you a city tour of the community how like how any tour would give you a city tour but it's through the eyes of a street kids program yeah, which yeah. We, we train and have a program for very interesting so bruce i'm wondering you've, you've been at this for 20 plus years and it sounds mm -hmm. like there's you know a, a wide variety of ways that you're making an impact i was jotting down you know hiring spurring local economic you know activity 
doing so with fair prices. Um, so being able to sort of drive some stability and fair fair wages or fair prices there, doing these social impact sort of ex- immersion experiences as the one you referenced in, in the rainforest there. How are you measuring your social impact and deciding over the course of the decades you've been at this, what's going well and where you might want to improve or, or tweak? Uh, I guess, I mean, the first thing we do in, in 2003 out of, you know, which is, is um, we, we started our own foundation. So, you know, as a, as a private sector and for-profit organization ourselves, we do what, you know, we can as, as an organization, but everything that we do on the social side is measured by our foundation. So we have uh, a local f- um, a foundation that actually plans and orchestrates and a different group of people that are separate to the business that you know develops all the community development projects, but also monitors you know our impact. Uh, we work with many different organizations, um, like Sustainable Travel International, or different organizations that help us um, get better and measure. And that's actually a, you know a really good question because you know there's been times we've been too successful if you can. Imagine in, in in certain communities where we can, you know, bring wealth to communities that um, through tourism and how we measure that impact or how we you know s- spread that wealth to other communities, uh, how we look at our our projects and the impact. But it is a very important part of what we do um, to measure that impact and also you know work with different. We work with so many different organizations and people like you know, animal welfare comes up, child welfare, um, indigenous community preservation, which we have guides and standards that we've created over the last years, which we also make available to the rest of the tourism industry and work with people like Jane Goodall, for instance, for our animal welfare programs and um, different schools we've worked with in the past, from Cornell to Washington, uh, George Washington University, um, doing impact studies on um, you know, what we, you know, our impact and how we can get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's constantly evolving and something that we look at all the time. And how has the work you've been doing, your for-profit work, the, all of this experience in these communities, how's that impacted what your philanthropic and foundation arm has done? Uh, it impacts everything. I mean, as we've grown, I mean, the thing that about us that's, um, you know, very relevant to, you know, a, a business community like like uh, like you, you're speaking to is, you know, we, we've been like a 28-year startup. We've had double-digit growth at 28 years. So wow. we've been considered a a fast-growing company for every year that we've been in existence. And so we receive a lot of recognition and kind of, um, you know, awards for, for just being a, a great business. And so, you know, all of those things play into the, the decisions that, that we make as an organization and, being, and, and just constantly getting better. And so we can do more and more great things as, we've be, as we become better. Uh, we've have we have better people within the organization. We have better, you know, um, you know, partnerships. Everything we do continues to grow as the business has gotten better. Excellent. Just a reminder to our listeners: you're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio here on Sirius XM 111. We're talking to Bruce Poontip, the founder of G Adventures, about his tremendous success over the last several decades, growing. Um, the social impact of the tourism industry. Yeah, and Bruce, one of the things that we have in our notes is that you you receive recognition for being a well managed company and a, one of the best places to work. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, and so I'm going. Wow, this sounds great. You know, it's sort of a great place to work, doing great and interesting <sighs> things. As as a as the head of the the business, how have you managed to? Become a best place to work. What is it that you do for your employees, and what kind of what do you look for? 
Boy, that's a, that's a huge question. I mean, we, I mean, we, I, I mean, I'm a believer about that, that social enterprise is 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 you know a full, you know, there's a full spectrum of how you evaluate the success in social enterprise outside of doing social good. I mean, there's that side. You know, you have equal responsibility to the people that make your business great mm-hmm. outside of the people on the ground. And you know, we're a real believer about creating you know really positive and you know engaging work environments and. Yeah, and also about promoting our company culture as part of our brand because we live in such a social world as well where we're so it's there's so much transparency with social media uh, with all of our employees and and how great we are as a business is measured by what our customers think of us um, and because we have such an emotional product being travel um, that people are highly engaged with us as a brand um, and we have a very high repeat and we have you know very high referral rates and that's all part of being a great business and your people become the driving force of delivering that. I mean, what's the magic that we create every day is exporting tourism. So people from 160 countries book tours with us every day. Um, in our home, you know, office, you know, our home country, North America, you know, is not our biggest market in the world. People, you know, from Scandinavia or Australia, New Zealand, all over you know, Europe and different parts of the world book trips with us, and they look at us as a unique company, and that's driven by um, our people. Um, because we sell services. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very unique business, selling services and exporting services. Um, and we've done that through creating a brand that's identified through its people and through its mission and through its, um, you know, its values-driven, purpose-driven business model. And it starts with creating a company culture on who you recruit, and we have very stringent recruiting processes. And, you know, I've actually written a book that was a New York Times bestseller called Loop Tale about, you know, our building of social enterprise and as well um, how we recruit which and, and how we fire, hire and fire based on company values, which mm. is, is, is a very courageous thing for businesses to do. Yeah, and let's dive into that. We're, we just wrapped up hiring. We have a fabulous new team member joining soon. We're actually hiring another individual now. How do you assess values in the hiring process? Get a couple interviews, maybe some writing samples, but tell us what makes your hiring process unique to to put a premium on those values. Uh, yeah, well, well, first of all, you have to, you know, we have this, a philosophy of you know, if you build it, they will come. You have to build a great company that people, mm-hmm. you know, look for you. Um, they come looking for, you know, the ideal place to be, and they their values match, you know, your values as a business. In order to, for, 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 so that has to be very well promoted. It has to be actually an inch, an, a detailed part of your, you know, business proposition. So our values, our, you know, core values as a business, all of those things are on on display all the time with everyone. So you get great candidates business. looking for you. Yeah, and then and then the hiring process is is very extensive for us. I mean, and you know, one of the the things that's uh, really important for us is. You know, the very last interview, no matter how many times you've been interviewed by the department or the individual that's hiring you, the final interview is what we call G-Factor or our culture fit interview. And that's done by three random people throughout the company. Every day we have, in every office all over the world, because we have 28 offices, um, the G-Factor interview is done by, you know, three, as I said, random people. And it's done, and those three people don't know the position, the level that person's um, um, interviewing for, and it's just based on culture fit. Interesting. And is it all co-located, or is it, hey, you know, you might be interviewing for the job, you know, at the Galapagos, and your interviewers are from New Zealand and no, Europe? No, 
they they are local. Okay. The people from that local office, that that because um, it's you know because each office does have a even though it, we're we're um, bound by a unique purpose values and a set of core values. You know there are cultural differences between offices, sure. between offices in Asia and Africa and Latin America, so they are done by the local offices. Um, but it's done strictly on culture fit, and um, and then the, the people in their rate, and you get a, you get a score, and you basically at the end of it, it's all automated. But if you get a a red light, a red light, there's no no chance that person can hmm. receive that job. Um, Interesting. And, and tell us and, a little and, bit and, and more. It, as happens, it happens often. We get people weeded out all the time that didn't didn't pass culture fit. And no matter how you know how good their experience is, or how senior they are, or how much experience they are, or how much they're wanted by their you know manager or in, or director, um, they can't be hired if they don't pass culture fit. Wow. And what does that look like? You know, you've got three employees sort of randomly assigned to mm-hmm. interview. Are they given questions? Is it a sort of case study? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a day in the life type of experience? Tell us as much as you you share about that. Well, I mean, it it is it is a very very fun. I mean, and and they are quite different depending on the office. But the main office here, you know, we do our um, G factors are in a ball pit first of all. Um, What? they're done in a ball pit. There's a, I saw there. this photo when I was researching you, and I didn't know if it was like a promo photo, but this is exactly okay. what yeah. the listener a, is imagining. There's kind of a crown and anchor wheel on the wall, and you get to spin it, and you get to find your own questions. And uh, you, they, it asks you very thought-provoking questions and very and different questions. Some of them are funny. Some of them are a bit more serious. And it's just based on you know your ability to think on your feet um, you know, form a meaningful connection with the people in the room, and that you f- will fit uh, what we, you know, our, our purpose as a business. Interesting. Um, it's this, it's the, you know, the questioning side of it is not, I have to say, is not scientific, um, but the idea of G-Factor and our culture fit interviews are, it's, it's quite important because you're, you know, the three people in the room could be anything from someone at reception or senior VPs within the organization, mm-hmm. the combination of three various people. And by passing that and, and getting that, that grade, you're, it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's building kind of consensus within the organization yeah. of everyone having uh, 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 a real part of bringing people on board and the onboarding process of, you know, bringing people within the organization because if you've passed G-Factor, you've, you've met some more people and you're kind of getting a stamp of approval. So people who arrive on day one working for us have, are, are accepted by you know, all departments and everyone because they, they know they've been through yeah. the culture fit interview. Yeah, nice. And, and people do. Like, I mean, I've had serious candidates where I've been looking for a year <laughs> for somebody, sometimes 18 months, gone through a 1,000 resumes and they fit and they fail fail culture fit and and you start crying (laughs) yeah and you can't hire them as much as you want to um and and i mean it it might happen you know or maybe only three or four maybe five times a quarter but it does happen yeah when you think about i'm I'm thinking now of our own hiring process which we have been very thoughtful about and and these type things but you do sort of know where everyone stands and you know if it's like Hey, we re- yeah, we're really hoping this person works out. You're yeah. you're bi- deeply biasing the yeah, next interviewer yeah, to go yeah. like, okay, I, I know what we're hoping for. Versus, it sounds like this is just a very you know, yeah, very I, much I think, a blank slate. I, Give I us your people, honest feedback. I think people do it naturally, especially small companies do yeah. that thing naturally. But for us, 
as we've gotten so much bigger, like, you know, with thousands of employees that we have now spread out around the world, we needed a way to, you know, have a, 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 to verify and to try and ma- maintain our culture and have people also buy in the type the, the types of people that we want working within the organization because buying is very important because we're building community community is such an important part of social of mm-hmm. uh, the idea of social enterprise building that community that can deliver upon such a, a you know an aggressive brand promise when you decide you know your business is a social enterprise yeah um, we've got a couple more minutes on the show and I want to ask a little bit about unintended consequences mm-hmm. because when we talk about sort of volun you know we've heard the phrase voluntourism where it's mm-hmm. you know, volunteer tourism and um, these sort of you know bursts of economic activity that aren't sustainable and how can yeah. local communities manage that cash flow does yeah. drug use increases cash increases you know what, what do we what do we see I'm curious what you've seen about in and around unintended consequences and if you have any lessons learned that you can share with our listeners so that as they're going to do social enterprise work, they can avoid some of those pitfalls. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's very, it, that, those are very good questions. I mean, the idea of volunteerism and that dream, I guess, of, of, which is a very, very difficult um, to maintain or to, to do well, um, and I don't think there's actually ever been a a real organization um, that can that can merchandise volunteerism has ever existed, but the idea of you know doing meaningful work um, and your work being meaningful and also being you know a for profit a business at the same time these two things are conflicting um, at times and you know also measuring your impact, which is a question you asked earlier, which becomes so critical and so important, but it's also sometimes very expensive and very mm-hmm. um, um, cumbersome to do when you you're meaning well as a small business to to you know have a so you know to be a social enterprise or have, have a positive impact but you don't have the the ability to measure it and it took us years of learning to do that and you know we've had um projects that have failed in the past or you know you know one of the biggest problems believe it or not is is projects being too successful where there's so much you know, if they're so successful to a community that didn't have, you know, um, employment before, mm-hmm. or, right. you know, if, um, especially women empowerment and women employment, and suddenly they're the main earners of employment in the community and the social impacts, you know, those kind of things have. And when you, you know, tours in areas of the world become popular, like we've been extremely popular in areas like, you know, small communities like in Burma, like, and um, you know Mongolia, as opposed to bigger communities, could take that have more of an infrastructure like Peru or Egypt, where it's a little easier to to manage um, these kind of projects. Um, you know, it's it's just very important to constantly measure your impact, um, positive and negative, and that comes with time and comes with the ability to, to afford to do that because you know you go into social enterprise with the idea of you know doing good. But the the cost of social enterprise isn't free, right, uh, right? And your customer wants a sustainable, you know, well-run product, um, but they want it at the same price of a product that isn't as well done. Um, so they're not willing to pay that premium for a more sustainable or a more uh, well-run product. So it's a constant challenge, and you have to grow into it sometimes. But the meaning is there, and there's always a way that you can start. Uh, you know, with the right intention and having that pure intention to start with is it's just really important at the initial phase of when you're starting a business. And 
and then you you grow into it. You start with small projects that you can maintain. You start with small ideas that you can, you know, it, it, it's a lot about social innovation, which is also very critical for social enterprise. And I assume that also ties to uh, a company culture that allows uh, acknowledgement that something didn't work. You know, you have to be able to have your your employees <laughs> and people on the ground say, I know you meant well, but this is this is not going the way we want it to. So important. I mean, these are all extremely good points about having a culture that's based around innovation um, and being, you know, on the cutting edge. Um, also involves, you know, celebrating mistakes and learning from mistakes and being a very transparent organization that, that you know, you know, celebrates mistakes because. It, because it's your opportunity to learn, and that has to be built in your culture. Yep. And even though it's something that you you know you 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 want to do with your business, there is so many mistakes to be made in this area, <laughs> and you have to be brave. Yeah. It's, it's a courageous decision as a business to go this route. And part of that um, being courageous is is about self-reflection and being able to monitor how you can constantly get better. And that involves you know you know. Um, finding mistakes early and you know and not seeing them as, as downfalls but seeing them as opportunities to grow and that's a lifelong lesson as for any business and something that you're constantly trying to ingrain in a business that that also wants to be nimble as an organization as as you get bigger um it's about celebrating those opportunities to 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 do great work but by learning from mistakes. Yep. It's part of any company culture that makes companies great. Yep, yep, great. Bruce, we have three minutes left in this segment, and I want to ask for, for listeners who, like Cheryl, are looking like, God, I could use a vacation. <laughs> that sounds so nice. We're talking about these great vacations. All I should, these wonderful places I, I want to go. I should take one. Summer's yeah. just around the corner, and let's get planning. What advice do you have? Let's say someone's not full throttle ready to go, G adventures, full social impact, but they're thinking, oh gosh, you know, maybe this would be something I should keep in mind. I should keep in mind the social impact of my travel. Mm -hmm. You know, what's some advice you have for helping folks understand the social impact of their travel, be it what economies they're traveling to, mm -hmm. what services they're using? Do you have any things that would help nudge the, the average traveler in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, it starts with ownership of businesses uh, and where money is going. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the issues that we have in terms of sustainability in the tourism industry is that, you know, the United Nations Environment Program put out a staggering statistic that every five dollars spent, every every hundred dollars, only five dollars actually stays in in a local economy. Really? And the, yeah. Wow. And because there's so much foreign ownership of resorts and cruise ships and yeah. the holidays, yeah. the money is not actually staying in the economy. And the conundrum that we face as a, as a planet is that, you know, we're traveling to the 40 poorest countries in the world right now. The, out of the 40 poorest countries, tourism is the largest form of revenue next to oil in most of these countries. So we're traveling to the 40 poorest countries and usually taking luxury holidays, um, but the money's not staying in the local economy. So just by asking, you know, very small, you know, questions about, you know, where money's going with any operator, anyone you're going, how the social impact they're having, asking those questions has a real impact, um, you know, because we're all changing how we live at home. But for some reason, you know, where we suspend our beliefs when we travel, that when we're in another country, we don't have to live by those same values. You know, we're all living where we are using, you know, we're, we're recycling, we're eating organically 100 mile diets we're you know putting little light bulbs at our house we're doing all kinds of things to live more sustainably 
but when we go on holidays, we're driven by price. Yeah. And we look first about for amenities, you know, like the um, tour operators. If you look at brochures today, the first ten pages are about amenities that you'll receive, so you have all the comforts of home. Um, and so, if you feel like you never left home, which is the oddest thing on in the world, <laughs> like if you want the comforts of home, maybe you should stay at home and not travel. Is the first question. But you know, you want you should ask those questions of the operator, like um, in terms of where your money's going, the ownership of the the you know the hotels, the the different um, services that you're going to be receiving, that you'll actually be able to travel around and spread your wealth by using different restaurants and operators. You're not traveling with company that owns the shopping stops like there's companies that actually take you around on a coach tour on every hotel and every shopping spot is actually owned by that company mm-hmm. and that money's not actually mm-hmm. going into the you know into the community that's, a, that's an excellent point because it's it's uh it's one of those things can sort of change how you think about mm-hmm. where you're spending the money and, and make you act in a very different way fairly simply yeah so and i you think should, you should you should never leave any country you visit without having a meal with a local person that's the first rule of thumb that I say to everyone who goes on a holiday. If you're actually going on a holiday and, you know, all of your – and it's carefully orchestrated so you actually never run into a local person, you, you've been very limited in what you've seen of that country. Absolutely. Well, this is good advice and inspiration for, for travel, certainly. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have to take a quick break, but stay with us. After the break, we're going to be talking to Jen Kenning. We'll be talking about impact investing and your philanthropy and your – in your hoodie. Um, <laughs> I'm Sandy Hunt. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 